How's it going, guys? Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, great to be with you tonight. And uh, Matt, thanks for that introduction. Um, you know, I'm always glad to come here Wednesday nights. It's always refreshing. Uh, Andrew and I were in Matt's office before this, and you know, just like always excited for Wednesday nights, just because of the fellowship and the coming together. So uh, it makes me excited to see you. I hope you're excited to see me. Um, uh, so, yeah, and I hope you're excited to get into God's Word. And, yeah, like Wayne said, uh, you know, Enoch, he just kind of blows the water out of the, out of the lake or out of the whatever you want to call a pond puddle. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope you're excited to be here, but I hope you're not as nervous as I am. But, uh, uh, but you know, this is definitely a, a treat for me because, you know, I get to study God's Word and get to share it with people. And so I hope to do that well tonight. Um, you know, to study God's Word, and, you know, it's just so enlivening, you know, it's just like, shows shame on me, like, you know, I just read over Scripture sometimes, and just like, you know, and then when you stop and study something like the life of Enoch, somebody who's not mentioned very much in Scripture, uh, you, know, you just learn so much just from a little thing. So, for all of you, I hope you've been having a good summer um, since getting out of school or, you know, I don't know if all of you are in school or if you're in work, whatever scenery you're in. Um, I hope you've been having a good summer. Uh, this is, you know, there are definitely a lot of fun things to do with your time in the summer for sure, like go to the lake, go on a hike, uh, versus most of the time when we meet during the school year, there's snow and ice everywhere, and so you gotta, you know, you're limited in that way. But um, one of the things I've enjoyed to do with my summer, but also winter, is to read biographies of Christian men. Um, one of the biographies that I'm reading this summer is Shadow of the Almighty. Some of you may have heard of it. Um, it's about a Christian missionary by uh, the name of Jim Elliott. Um, he, was, uh, he was killed in Ecuador by the native people there known as the Akas. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's what it looks like, how you would say it. But um, He and a couple of other guys uh, were there trying to reach the Akas to share the gospel with them, but they ultimately lost their lives for doing so. Um, because the, the, that tribal people was known for violence, but yet they didn't care. They, they went there and wanted to share the gospel. Um, he's famously quoted for the saying of, he is no fool who, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's pretty unique, you know, seeing he lost his life trying to share the gospel. So, you know, it's just, you know, to see uh, a biography of a man like that, you know, uh, the reason, that's the reason why I like to, read biographies is because you can see a a person's life, in this case, a Christian missionary by the name of Jim Elliott, and apply the things of his life to your own, to my own, at least for what I'm trying to do this summer. Um, And that's kind of what we're doing in Cross Life this summer in Hebrews 11, looking at the Old Testament men that are listed in Hebrews 11, uh, men uh, who live by faith. But before we get into studying the man we're going to consider tonight, Enoch, I want to review the purpose of Hebrews 11. I want to answer that question, well, why did the writer of Hebrews write this, um, write this chapter? You know, here is the answer to that question, and uh, the reason why the writer of Hebrews gave the list of men that he did was to give examples or to show men that lived by faith and were justified because of that faith. Um, you know, it was, it was to encourage the believing Jew and to testify to the non-believing Jew. Now think of the importance of that. 
to, to encourage the believing Jew, the one who already believed the broad message of Hebrews that Christ is better. Christ is better than fill in the blank, the, the law, the earthly sacrifices, the, you know, whatever, you know, the, the, the earthly traditions that they had come up with. And to testify to the non-believing Jew or to the non-believer you know, this would be the person that was still, you know, wanted to, you know, do the, the earthly religious things, the ceremonies. They didn't accept Christ. They didn't uh, accept him as the prophesied Messiah that he was. Uh, they wanted a different Christ. They wanted a different Messiah. Um, so they kept on doing these religious activities. Uh, they didn't understand or want to believe Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. And that he... Uh, paid our debts in the one event of dying on that cross. You know, this, the simple distinction between these two different people, the believer and the non-believer, in this context is, what do they put their faith in? Do they put it in God, or do they put it in themselves? Well, right before chapter 11 in Hebrews, in uh, Hebrews 10.38, uh, we kind of get a foreshadowing of why the writer of Hebrews gave this list. As he says, my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. The other question that we can ask of the purpose of Hebrews is, well, why did the writer of Hebrews have to write this to the dominantly Jewish audience? Well, it's simply because the Jews had been corrupted for so long uh, that the way to please God or the way to get to God or to heaven was through this thing called works righteousness. It was based on what you did, or were you a good enough person. So to counteract that wrong teaching, the writer of Hebrews shows them, the Old Testament men in Hebrews 11, uh, that they knew of, that shows them that they were faithful men, that they put their faith in God the Savior. Uh, That was the reason why they needed to know that, that that our human work, our human deeds, um, that is done... It does not save us. Only our faith can save us, our faith in God. Our works only uh, are good, not good enough to save us from God's wrath. And we need to know this as believers so that we rest on our faith to save us, not our works. And I'm sure many of you have heard of the, the verse that's commonly quoted with our works is, you know, all our, is Isaiah 64, verse 6, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. You know, what that means is any good or righteous deed we do, will never, it's never good enough. It's never good enough uh, because all our deeds are tainted by sin. So in God, you know, sin is the very thing that God hates. He cannot tolerate it. He has to punish it. Otherwise, he would not be perfect. Sin is missing the mark. And God can't accept anything less than perfection. Otherwise, he would be imperfect. So as we advance in our study in Hebrews 11... We now come to the guy, Enoch. Um, I have to be honest with you, when uh, Matt texted me while I was working on the farm that I was teaching on Enoch, I uh, was just like, well, that's, that's cool, great. Who in the world is Enoch? <laughs> I was perplexed the rest of the day while I was out on the farm. I was actually in a building stacking potato boxes, and I was just thinking the whole time, who in the world is this guy? Um, I had only studied Hebrews 11 at surface level, and that's why I said at the beginning like, just how 
the Lord shows me, you know, shame on me for just reading over the text sometimes and not really diving deep into it. And, you know, I really hope tonight that, uh, you know, after I've studied for this message, um, I really wonder, like, why have I not heard of this guy before? You know, he's a pretty unique guy. He's, uh, and I hope to show you why that is tonight and as best as I can. Um, so turn with me now, if you would, to Hebrews 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. We're going to kind of get a running start into verses 5 and 6, which is the verses we'll be considering tonight, because that's where it talks about Enoch. So Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By it, the people of old received their condemnation, uh, commendation, uh, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, uh, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as, as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and uh, through his faith, he, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without, and, without it, uh, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So last week, um, Josh Nelson taught us about our first character that we see in verse 4, which is Abel, and uh, how he and his brother... Both offered up sacrifices, but Cain's, uh, or excuse me, Abel's was the only sacrifice that was acceptable. Um, he had been ob- Cain, or excuse me, Abel had been obedient in bringing what was a required sacrifice, what would be pleasing to God, and Cain had not. You know, this proper offering for a sacrifice by Abel showed evidence of his faith that he believed God was serious about His commands. That you know, he wanted to please God by being obedient and prop and offering the proper sacrifice. So his example shows us as sinners, now note this, his example shows us as sinners how God requires us to come to him. Abel was indeed a great man of the faith, but we're not considering him tonight. We're moving along to Enoch. So when you look at Abel, though, you see that he showed us how to act faithfully. Now Enoch, he'll show us how to live faithfully as a, as a faithful follower of the Lord. So to get this right look into Enoch's life, we need to go back a couple books, Genesis, actually, uh, and go to chapter 5, if you would. Chapter 5, verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21, Genesis. All right, so verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And when I was studying for this message, I liked what one commentator titled, the, the chap, or titled this chapter in Genesis 5. He titled it the And He Died chapter. Now, you'd kind of be confused if you were just to look at these four verses and 
you know, you don't see that phrase at all. Um, it's because, you know, like Lane said, he just, God just took him up. Um, well, to kind of, if we look at the verses around verses 21 through 24, uh, just look at verse 5. Thus all the days of Adam, uh, that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. Now, thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17. Thus all the days of Mahalael were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Look over to verse 27. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Last one, verse 31, thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Really couldn't tell, that's a lot of really old dead people in one chapter. (laughs) Uh, But Enoch is the only one that doesn't have the the phrase, and he died after his name. Uh, Well, if he didn't die, then what happened to him? Well, as we saw in Hebrews um, 11, we saw that God took him up so that he would not see death. But we also see it here in verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, this is the break in the chapter where that common phrase that we just saw, and he died, doesn't, doesn't happen. Instead of dying, God ascended Enoch into heaven so they would not see death because he walked closely with him, because he walked closely with God. You know, and I can, just picturing this in my mind, like the one day that Enoch just, ascended into heaven, I just think of his wife, who just one day, you know, come supper time, you know, where's my husband? And are the kids being like, where's dad? And so I, I actually don't know what it would look like, but I can only imagine or let my mind wander as to what happened. But seriously, though, think about this. How many people do you know of in Scripture that ascended into heaven? There's two others, yep. Um, there's not two total, there's three actually, but including Enoch. Uh, but seriously, um, like how many people have ascended into heaven are two others, and um, the other two are Jesus and Elijah. So you could easily say that Enoch is in uh, really good company. Um, Jesus, after he was crucified, um, so Jesus did die, but he was then resurrected, as we know, and there's a lot of meaning behind that. But he ascended into heaven in Acts 1. And Elijah, he ascended into heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2. You know, and Elijah, you know, obviously Jesus is a very important person. We all know of him, who is our Savior, who died for us on the cross. Elijah, he was a, a very influential man and very devoted man to the Lord in, in the Old Testament. So this is a very major distinction about Enoch's life, but there's so little mentioned of him. Um, you know, and the fact that he didn't have to go the, through the personal agony of death, man, what a blessing that is. And what a sign that is of maybe his faith, that he walked closely with God. And, you know, that's the other thing of, of this chapter that is only mentioned of Enoch. Look back at verse 22 and verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and verse 24, Enoch walked with God. You know, we see this only of Enoch, but we also see it of uh, Noah in chapter 6, but we're only considering chapter 5 here, but you see it mentioned of Enoch twice within four verses. Uh, Enoch, that Enoch walked with God, 
twice in 22 and 24. And if you're familiar with any proper Bible study techniques, you know that if you see a word or a phrase within a couple verses of each other, or if it's kind of a, a continual theme, and in this case it is for Enoch, that's very significant. Um, you know, you know, uh, these four verses, you know, are are very brief in describing Enoch's life, but yet they're very accurate in showing a man who walked with God, a man who pleased God. Now, I want us to look again at what it says about him later, and actually in verse 22. Enoch walked with God, and he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Now, this is what makes me say that you know, Enoch is the man who shows us how to live faithfully, or to, um, yeah, to live faithfully, or to walk faithfully with God. You know, he did it for 300 years. That's what it says of him. And I don't know about you guys, but in my... In my own personal walk with the Lord, sometimes I have a hard enough time walking with the Lord for the length of a day, just to be honest. But Enoch, he did it for three centuries. You know, we hear stories of people, or maybe you hear it in your own family settings or friends, of older people in your life that, yeah, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Well, Enoch takes the card here with 300 years for sure, and... (laughs) You know, Enoch, he, you think about it and what he had, you know, in the situation he was, what kind of resources did Enoch have? He didn't have the Bible app on his phone to where he could look up Scripture whenever he wanted. Really, he actually didn't even have a Bible. He didn't have a Strong's Concordance or a, a MacArthur commentary on whatever book of the Bible you want. You know, and he didn't have any Internet to look up that one verse that you forgot. So how blessed are we today? How blessed are we today? And yet we still have a rampant sin issue in our day and age today. But yet we have such easy access to Scripture, especially here in America. You know, I think we're more blessed than we think we are, or more than we have to say. But we can easily think, though, that, well, Enoch is mentioned here in Genesis, and so, of course, he walked with God. He had it much easier than what we have today, right? You know, he only lived 600 years before, after the creation happened. You know, there's, there's much more corruption today than there was in Enoch's time, right? You know, initially I had this same sort of thinking enter my mind when I was first studying this. But here's what I have to say to that sort of thinking now, or that thought process, is it's not accurate. It's not right. You know, only three generations later, after Enoch, the Lord sent the worldwide flood to wipe out all of the corrupt world. You know, things were so bad, you know, that he had to wipe it all out. We're still all here today, and we still have this corruption yet today, but is it as bad as back then? I would say not, because look at Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that in every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And look down a little bit further in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and there was fil- and it was the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had been corrupted, had corrupted their way on earth. I definitely think those few verses put it to rest that society in Enoch's time was pretty bad, very bad, that it was so bad that he had to wipe it all out and start over again. 
and that it also says that he regretted making man. It was only 600 years after the creation. Sin rampantly just took over. But yet, Enoch, he walked with God for 300 years amongst all that. That's amazing. It's amazing when we put things in the right perspective, how things can have so much more meaning. In verse 21, we see Enoch's famous son, Methuselah. And you're thinking, well, why in the world are you going to talk about his son? Well, there's a couple of important things about him. And, well, you know, one obvious thing that we can note is, like all the other guys mentioned in the chapter, is he died. Um, Go figure, right? But we can note that he is the oldest man to ever live in human history, 969 years. But more importantly, I want to point out is if you look at the meaning of Methuselah's name, it literally means death shall bring forth judgment. What's that got to do with anything? Well, his very name is, you know, meant that judgment was coming. That's very serious. His name was prophetic. You know, what it means is that when Methuselah dies, that judgment was going to come. And, uh, you know, we see... You know, his dad, Enoch, Methuselah's dad, Enoch, the guy we're studying tonight, prophesied judgment. He actually prophesied judgment in uh, Jude 14 and 15, which says, And Enoch also, the seventh son from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that, that are ungodly among them, all their ungodly deeds which, have they, which they have ungodly committed, and that all of their harsh speech, speeches, which is ungodly sinners, have spoken against him. It's a lot of ungodlies in one verse. So it was fitting, I guess, for Enoch to use his son's name as prophecy as well. So it happened that when Methuselah died, guess what came? That flood we just talked about. Literally seven days after Methuselah died, the flood came. <laughs> He spared Methuselah from judgment, but yet he carried out the very prophecy that his name bore. He wiped out all that corrupt society. There was only eight people left on that boat. We'll hear about that in two weeks. Really, though, this shouldn't surprise us at all, because when has the Lord not fulfilled prophecy? You know, that kind of puts it into, like, man, Lord, your sovereignty. (laughs) And you are a faithful faithful God. You know, that little historical lesson should reaffirm, reaffirm us that, yes, the Lord does what he says he'll do. So let's move on to the question now, well, how do we walk like Enoch did with God? Well, now we can finally go back to Hebrews 11, all the way to the other side of the Bible, and that will help us answer that question. So we'll only read verses 5 and 6 now. So Hebrews 11, 5, 11, yeah, Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. To answer this question of, how do we walk with God like Enoch did is simply put that we, that we walk with God in faith. A faith that is trusting in a divine ruler, that he has everything in, in place. You know, with our faith in God, there is, you know, that confident trust there that he's got everything 
planned out for me. He's got, it's understanding that he is sovereign, that he has a sovereignty over every situation in your life. You know, we know that he has our best interest in mind, even in the hard times and the good times. Second Corinthians 5, 7 simply puts it this way, that for we walk by faith, for we walk by faith. To walk with God means that we are reconciled with him. And I'll talk about what that means in a little bit, but to be reconciled with God is salvation. You know, the men of Genesis 5 were definitely reconciled with God. Noah walked with God and he escaped judgment. Abraham walked with God and he received blessings. Enoch walked with God and he escaped death. We walk with God and what? Enoch's walk, with, uh, Enoch's walk was the same that we walk with God too. Enoch's walk with God was the same kind of walk we have with God today. One, we are to be positioned rightly to walk with God. You need to be right with God before you can walk with him. Two, we are to practically walk with God in our daily life. What I mean here is that in order for us to first walk with God, you need to be right with God, and you need to make that personal decision of, like, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to put my faith in God. You can't put your faith in other things other than God, otherwise you're not going to walk, be able to walk with him. Secondly, after we are positioned rightly, we're, when we walk with God, we walk with God practically in our daily life. You know, we saw this practicality in Enoch's life in Jude uh, 14 and 15. Enoch spoke out against the very wickedness that was around him of the day. Did we go speak out against the wickedness of our day, or do we kind of go with the flow? Amos 3.3 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? It may seem obvious at this point, but if Enoch walked with God, he was, you know, because Enoch walked with God, he was a saved man. He did agree with God. He was agreed with God so that he could walk with him, and he did walk with him. You know, he had the same grace of, of God upon him that we have today because of his faith. And at the end of verse 5, you know, we see that his faith pleased God, and he, is, he was able to escape, escape death. God was pleased with Enoch because of his faith. I know Enoch didn't have a Savior to look to, Jesus or the Bible, but yet he still put his faith in Jesus. But what, how did he do that? You know, this is where verse 6 helps us out a lot. Verse 6. Um, in order for Enoch's faith to be pleasing to God, there had to be two conditions that were met for him to be pleasing to God, to have faith in God. And I would definitely write these down. And the first condition was, is he had to believe that God existed. Hebrews eleven six, the first part of it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You know, the first part of this verse reaffirms us here that you know, if we do not have faith in God, we cannot please him. You know, think about that. It's, it would just be... You know, it'd just be contrary to think that how can you please God if you don't believe in him or if you don't have a faith in him or a trust in him? You cannot please him, nor can you draw near to God if you do not have faith in him. Some alternative ways we try to please God are by living a moral life, maybe doing a good deed, and maybe hopefully somebody will see it, or going to church every once in a while, talking to the pastor, asking him a question that, hopefully made you look like a, a righteous follower. You know, here it's simply put, we cannot please God with anything other than our faith. You can't do it. 
For the last part of this verse, I like how the NASB puts it, which says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is. The reason why I like this is because I would add to it, it's saying the same thing, must believe that he exists, must believe that he is, but with a play on words, you can say, and is who he says he is. Often today, people make God who they want him to be. I used to do this a lot when I was in high school. You know, I'd pray to the football God. I wanted a football God, not, a, not a, a God of righteousness and a God that was good. I wanted a God that served my wants and needs. Some people only want a God of love and not justice. Some people want the, other, the flip side. They want a God of justice and not much love. You know, listen here, guys, just let God be who he is, who he says he is in Scripture, who he's revealed himself to be. You know, the part where verse 6 says we must believe is not talking about some whimsical faith of, or a belief in a tooth fairy or the Santa Claus that's so commonly brought up around Christmas time. This is talking about a belief that leads to a genuine faith, a genuine faith that changes who you are, changes what what the aspect of your life is, the, the very core of your, your being. You know, to have a pleasing faith to God, you need to believe that He exists, that He is the ruler of all that we see, of all our lives, and all he, who He has revealed Himself to be in His existence in Scripture. Psalm 14.1 says, A fool says in his own heart, There is no God. So what I have to say to you guys because of that verse is, Don't be a fool. Someday, whenever we pass from this life and stand before God, you're going to have to stand before Him and give an account, whether you like it or not. You, just because you don't believe in it, you know, you could get arrested for getting a speeding ticket, maybe say it's like your fifth one. You stand before the judge. Judge, I don't believe you exist. Judge, not, he's not going to care. He's going to say, you're going to jail. Sorry, man. You know, that's, and I don't say this to upset you or to make you angry. I say this because this is the truth of Scripture. You're going to stand before him. So how can we believe in who he is, or how can we know him then so that we can believe more strongly in his existence? You know, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. You know, you should, you should figure that one out on your own. And uh, I say that partly because of a few reasons. It's because... That will get you in the scriptures, for one. Study who God is. That's a, it's a rich study. And because it also is a question that requires much time to answer, and quite frankly, I'm a little limited by time here, but if you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk about it with you. But also, I'm not trying to cop out, because I want you to find out for yourselves if you're wondering as well. A while ago, we actually spent two semesters on that question, who is God, in the Imago Day series. And so if you want to check that out, I'd say that's a very good resource. It's online. Um, or if you really want, you could ask somebody to study God with you. Who is the God of the Bible? I want to know his existence. And that would definitely be a good study, and I think you'd benefit from that a lot, especially if you're struggling with your belief in God, if you're I mean, questioning your faith a little bit. Second condition. He had to understand that God is one who rewards those who seek him. Rest of verse 6 says, and that he rewards those who seek him. What kind of rewards? Well, for Enoch, it was escaping death and then on to eternity. For us, it's almost the same, but not quite. Uh, the one thing you know, we don't likely get and probably won't is we'll not be uh, taken up. 
you know, maybe if the Lord comes before and, you know, we are ascended into heaven, the rapture happens, but that's a whole other topic. Um, but one thing I should say here is I'm not saying that if we are faithful enough, you will escape death. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying God, you know, will reward it in that way, but I'm not, and I'm not saying he can't do that, but I'm not saying he will either. So to what are we promised? We're, we're promised eternity with God, which is made possible through his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. You know, really, is there any better, any better reward out there? You get to have fellowship with God and spend eternity with him, even if you have to go through death. Christ went through death. He was willing to suffer that for us. Seems the more, re- and I'm trying to think of how to illustrate this is, you know, some of the more rewarding times in my life have been when people are involved, the relationships I have. You know, I, it's without fail. It's not the things I have, the amount of people that come up to me after football games and say, good game. It's the memories of the relationships I have, of things I've done with people that I love, and the things that we've gone and done together, whether it's, you know, just personally, between each other, if it's for the advancement of the gospel, the kingdom, those are my most precious memories in my mind. Now think of the reward of a relationship with the Heavenly Father. How much more great that's going to be. And for eternity. You know, this life is only limited by our lifespan. Our relationship with the Lord in eternity is not limited by time. So now think of, now think of that reward and let it, let it fester in your mind a little bit. You know, he definitely one-ups the reward for, for us in the, our relationship with him. I think it's fair to say that God lavish, lavishly rewards us. I don't want to say that lightly. He is a lavishly rewarding God. And I want to close this point with this verse. Proverbs eight seventeen. God says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. That's Proverbs eight seventeen. if you want to take note of that. So in closing... How was Enoch pleasing to God? Well, he was pleasing to God because of his faith. His faith that he was a God that existed and a God that would reward. But remember, God wasn't pleased with Enoch because of his things he did. He probably did do many mighty good things. But God didn't look at that. God looked at his faith. For having so little mention of him in Scripture, you know, what a great example Enoch was of a faithful man. And that he did it for 300 years, and the Lord rewarded him by not letting him see death. What a faithful follower he was. So for us, has what we believe in changed our lives? Has our faith really changed us? Do you stand out? I hope it has. You know, for some of you, if you're thinking about you know, what is my faith, or do I even have a faith? I encourage you to come to talk to myself, Matt, Deontay, uh, Michelle. You know, a lot, of, a lot of different people would love to talk about this with you. A lot of us would. I'm sure of it. You know, Enoch's life was different for 300 years. Ours will likely will definitely not be that long. So, you know, just go out and live for him, man. It, just go for it. You know, he's worth it. God is worth it. Christ is worth it. I hope that it can be said of us in this group in Cross Life that 
we are different, not because of we want to be, but we are because of who we believe in, who our faith is in, Christ Jesus. And we have a Savior that has died for us. I hope that is a mark of us, that we have a faith in God that is rewarding because God is a lavishly loving God. Let's pray. Lord, God, how rich it is to see a man's life and how you used it. Lord, you rewarded him greatly, not letting him see death. Lord, even though we might likely see death, Lord, may we want to live faithfully, diligently, God. Lord, if any of us are struggling with uh, the thought of your existence or that you are a God who rewards, Lord, may we come to you, bended knee, and say, Lord, help us. Help us come to you in your throne. Lord, Father, make us more like Enoch, a man who is, like a man who is faithful. Make us faithful, trusting in you that you have every interest of ours to our best. Lord, Father, thank you so much for this time to meet, this time to sing and to worship. Lord, thank you so much for an example and for Hebrews 11 showing us men that live faithfully. May we look at their lives more closely and study them and apply the things of their lives to our own. In your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen.